I remember crying and, and yelling and running through the house, and my mom and dad took me to doctor after doctor trying to figure out what was wrong, why I was suffering such intense headaches. I remember clanking x-ray machines. I remember really cold uh, hospital tables. I remember having electrodes placed on my head, and the doctors were confused as to what was going on as well. They ultimately determined that I had a blood clot somewhere, I can't remember which eye it was in, but a blood clot in my eye, and, but they didn't know what to do about it. This was back in 1965. Yes, I'm that old. And uh, yeah, you figure my age out for yourself. Um, I was five in 1965, so how old am I today? 25. Thank you. Um, it's a product of our Shelby County school systems there. <laughs> I remember the doctors, the doctors, and I've learned most of this from my parents, of course, the doctors said that, they, that there was a blood clot somewhere close to one of my eyes. They didn't know how to go about removing it or taking care of it. Um, if they did surgery or any, any invasive kind of procedure, they were afraid it would jar the uh, blood clot loose, it would travel to my brain, possibly causing death, possibly mental impairment, which may explain some things. Just kidding. So my mom and dad got on the phone. They were, they were preparing to be missionaries to India. They were in Bible college. They got on the phone. And they started calling pastor friends and family. They began to call, uh, call some of the professors at their college up asking that they pray for me because the doctors were stymied. They didn't know what to do and they didn't know what the outcome of this would be. All I remember basically is this. I woke up one day and the headache was gone. Gone. No more pain. My mom and dad took me to the hospital to see what had happened. The doctors couldn't explain it. They said, we don't know. The blood clot's not there now. We don't anticipate any problems, but keep a close eye on him. Well, that's been since 1965. I've had no issues other than mental, slight cases of mental impairment ever since then. I believe with all my heart the Lord healed me instantaneously and miraculously when those people began to pray for me. And we as a church believe that Jesus is our healer. We don't believe it based on my experience with healing. We base it on what the, the Bible says about healing and about Jesus. And we'll get into more of this as the message unfolds here. The doctors themselves, in my case, use the word miracle to describe what happened. What's interesting to me is I'm finding more and more of you, when you go to the doctor, let me just ask this question. How many of you, when you've gone to a doctor recently, have had the doctor pray with you over the situation you were in? One in the back, two, three, I'm finding that that's the case more and more because doctors are beginning to understand there's only so much that we know, we're going to have to trust God with the rest of it. And I, I'm hearing more and more stories of doctors who will stop, spend time, and pray with, with their patients. But uh, um, we as a church believe that Jesus is our healer. As a church, we believe that God cares about us. He cares about our, us, our, our physical emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being. He wants to make us whole. He wants to make us well. He wants us to be whole in our body, mind, soul, and spirit. 1 Peter 2.24 says, By His wounds you have been healed. 
By His wounds you have been made whole. I imagine if we were to stop and interview each one of you, there's something going on in your life that you know is not quite right with you physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, right? Well, you need to hear this message today. Jesus is your healer, and he wants to make you whole. He wants to heal your body. He wants to heal your emotions. He wants to heal you mentally. There are people sitting in this room who have been at one time diagnosed with mental health issues. Bipolar. Depression. And they gave you medication to deal with it. But the Lord has set you free. You don't even take that medication anymore. Why? Because Jesus made you whole. Now, you're going to hear me in just a minute say we don't want anybody throwing their medication away. <laughs> y'all, are y'all listening to me? I want us to get a balanced view of what it means for Jesus to be our healer. I want you to hear carefully what I'm saying. I'm just saying that there are people in this room who have been healed physically. I'm one of them. Who else has been healed physically? Yeah, look at the hands going up. You know Jesus has healed you. It wasn't a doctor. A doctor may have helped, you think, but instantaneously, miraculously, you've been healed. God loves us like that. And I want you to to begin to understand how deeply God loves you. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to be well. And He has provided for our healing in the atoning sacrifice of Christ Jesus on the cross. It's ours. We're going to talk about this. We're going to get a balanced view of this because we, I don't know about you, I have seen this belief misused and abused and manipulated and corrupted. I've seen some real abuses and excesses within the charismatic Pentecostal tribe of which we're part, and it was wrong. And I don't want to see anyone manipulated. I don't want to see anybody abused with this truth. I want you to understand it so that you can live in it so that it can affect the way you live and the way you speak about this God who has called us to be well in the name of Jesus. So let's let's listen to this carefully. Let's get into this in a real real balanced way. And to do that, I want to share with you a second story. A second story, a story about a young man named Chad Putnam. In 1992, when I was a youth pastor in Tuscaloosa, a girl in my youth group told me about a ninth grader from her high school named Chad Putnam, who had been admitted to Druid City Hospital. She asked me if I would go visit Chad because Chad wasn't a Christian and she was concerned about him. Chad was one of the more troubled kids in her class. Chad was hanging out with a rough crowd. Chad was hanging in the, in, uh, hanging, or heading in the wrong direction. And when I walked into Chad's hospital room for that first time, Chad and his mom were in this really heated argument about something. I never was sure what it was. And in the course of talking with them, I found out in that first visit that Chad's parents were separated, that Chad didn't like school at all, and that the doctors weren't sure what was wrong with Chad. They they were running a series of tests trying to figure it out. 
Eventually, these tests revealed an aggressive form of colon cancer. And over the next year, about 12 months, maybe 13 months, Chad was in and out of the hospital several times as the doctors tried to treat him and tried to care for him and tried to help him work through this cancer diagnosis. Every time Chad went in the hospital and several times uh, when he was outside the hospital, I visited with Chad. I, we became pretty good friends. We had opportunities to chat about a lot of different things. I know I was praying for Chad. Our church was praying for Chad. There were other churches around the community praying for Chad. We had the, just about the entire town of Tuscaloosa was praying for this young man. But nothing seemed to work. The treatments didn't work. The prayers didn't work. Chad's health continued to decline all year long. And I watched before my eyes as this once healthy young man became nothing but skin and bones. He looked like a kid from a concentration camp. After one visit with Chad, about nine months into this year, I remember getting into my car. And for at least 20 minutes, I sat in my car in that hospital parking lot, and I had a really, I can only describe it as angry conversation with God. I was so frustrated. I remember slamming my hand down on the dash of my car. I remember saying at the top of my lungs, why? Why, God? Why does this young man have to face this incredible suffering? God, why don't you do something about this? God, why don't you heal Chad like you healed me? You did it for me. Surely you can do the same thing for him. I remember having this incredibly angry, frustrated conversation with God. Well, Chad entered the hospital one last time. And during this last day, another youth pastor had the great honor of leading Chad to the Lord. Chad was so weak that in order for him to be baptized, the nurse's aide, Tyler, had to come in and carry Chad down to the basement of the hospital so that he could be baptized in a therapy pool. Well, the day after Chad was baptized, I had the opportunity to visit him one last time in the hospital. And when I entered the room, Chad was smiling, told me what had happened to him, told me how he'd given his heart to the Lord, told me how he'd been carried to the basement of the hospital and baptized in that water therapy tool, uh, pool. And then he handed me what we used to call a witness bracelet. Anybody know what those are? It's a leather strap with some beads on it, each of the beads symbolizing something the Lord has done for us. You know, our hearts were black with a little black bead, hearts were black with sin, red bead, Christ's blood washed the sin away. He handed me that witness bracelet. He said, here, man, you need to keep this to remember me. I said, thank you. What I found out was that Chad handed out one of these witness bracelets, made them and handed them out to everyone that came into his room the last two weeks of his life. Nurses, doctors, friends, family, whoever it is. They got a witness bracelet and they heard Chad tell the story of what God had done for him. Well, Chad passed away. And I believe with all my heart that Chad is in heaven today, 
healthier than he's ever been before. I went to Chad's funeral, and the auditorium was packed with people. 300 people packed, students, young people, doctors, nurses, packed into this little auditorium, standing room only. The pastor shared some of Chad's story. The pastor that did the funeral spoke of the peace that Chad found in Jesus Christ near the end of his life. And at the end of that funeral service, the pastor asked everyone who had given their hearts to the Lord or recommitted themselves to the Lord as a result of Chad and Chad's testimony to stand up and come forward. And people began to stand up from all across that packed auditorium and they made their way to the front uh, where, the, where the coffin was and it was still open so Chad was there and, and they, they, they gathered around that coffin. A hundred people. Young people. Nurses, doctors. The nurse's aide that carried him down to the basement to baptize him. Even Chad's parents came up and they testified to how they had reconciled in the light of what God had done in Chad's life. Several of these people, including one doctor, shared their story of how they had recommitted themselves to Christ Jesus as Savior. Others told of how they had given their hearts to Christ Jesus because of Chad's witness during the last two weeks of his life. And I'll be honest with you, I felt kind of sheepish, and I was humbled, because here I had, I, w- I had been angry and frustrated with what God was doing, but yet God was using Chad and his testimony, and the suffering Chad was undergoing, to bring Chad to the Lord, because ultimately, isn't that what God is after? He wants us to be with him in eternity. And God had also used Chad's suffering and his testimony to lead all these people to the Lord. I began to feel a little sheepish about that 20 minutes I spent with God yelling at him. Because you know what? I came to understand that God has a bigger plan in place than I can see. And there's a bigger picture than I can see. Why didn't God choose to heal Chad like he healed me? Because God knows exactly what he's doing. Isaiah 55 says this, God speaking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declare the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I tell Chad's story because I want you to understand how we can see Christ Jesus as our healer in a balanced way. Some of us like to put God in a box and say that God always heals in the way we want him to. But God has a bigger picture in mind than you or I can see. God used Chad's sickness to bring him to Christ for salvation. And God used Chad's testimony to reach dozens of other people that might not otherwise never have heard or responded to the gospel. I use Chad's story because I want to point out to you there are two extremes that Christian believers often fall into. And I want to point these extremes out because I want us to stay balanced. The two extremes are this, two extreme views about healing. The first extreme view says that God never heals today. You guys have already raised your hands, many of you, and said, I know better than that, because God has healed me. But there are some out there who are in the body of Christ. I'm not denying that. I'm just saying they believe that God never heals today. They would tell you that healing 
ended with the completion of the New Testament and the death of the apostles. The other extreme, the second extreme view about healing that exists in the body of Christ today, is that God always heals instantly and miraculously. If people pray in the right way, with the right amount of faith. They say if we're not healed instantly, the way we expect, it's because there's something wrong with us. We're just not praying in the right way. Or our faith is weak. But here's what I want us to understand as a church. We believe that Jesus is our healer. We believe with all of our heart that the scripture reveals Jesus to be our healer. But he is our healer who also happens to be our sovereign Lord with a big picture in view. A picture that we often can't see. We believe that Jesus can choose to heal us in his way, in his time, as he deems best. That he's not obligated to heal in the way that we think he should heal. He's not obligated to do what we think he should do. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Jesus does heal. No doubt about that. That's what scripture teaches and that's what we stand on. But he may not heal us in a way or in the time frame that we expect. Let me just share this with you, and then we'll start talking about the atonement. Scripture indicates that Jesus heals his people in at least four ways. Now, this, this applies to us whether we are coming to the Lord for physical healing, emotional healing, healing for our mind, healing for our spirit. Some of you guys in this room, your souls are so wounded by your past experiences in this life. You've been abused and rejected and neglected and overlooked, and your souls are so wounded. And I'm here to tell you there's a balm in Gilead. There is a God who wants to heal your soul, not just your body, but he wants to heal your wounded, bruised soul. He wants to make you whole. So I may go back to referring to things in physical terms, but I want you to know these apply to you too. God wants to heal you, body, mind, and soul. Scripture indicates that Jesus heals his people in at least one of four ways. And I want to share these four ways with you so that we can look at this subject of healing in a balanced and biblical way and stay away from the extremes. The first way Jesus heals us according to Scripture is through natural processes. Through natural processes. Your body is an amazing instrument. Oh, God has created us in such a unique, marvelous, and amazing way. There are healing processes already in us to renew us and refresh us and make us whole. God uses those God-given body defenses like good nutrition, proper rest, healthy habits 
trained doctors and appropriate medicines to bring healing to us physically, emotionally, and mentally too. And we see Jesus using these natural processes to heal in 1 Timothy 5.23 when Paul tells his young minister protege Timothy, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. So we see Paul here recommending to, to Timothy, hey man, this is a, a way that God can bring healing to you. Your stomach, you've got some upset stomach, you're always dealing with an upset, upset stomach. Why don't you try this? Look, we, we need to let Jesus heal us through natural processes. Those processes are already, and I will tell you this, almost every doctor I've ever met, honest doctor, would tell you they don't do any healing. They assist God in bringing healing. They can diagnose, and they can recommend medications and treatments, but the one responsible for the healing is the Lord. That's an honest doctor who recognizes the limitations of their knowledge and training and experience. There are simply some things they don't know. They don't know how it works. They just know it does work. So here, let's try this. That's why they call it the practice of medicine, I guess. God does the healing. We need to let Jesus heal us by eating correctly, living in healthy ways, developing good habits that build us up, don't tear us down. It's always amazed me why somebody who's been diagnosed with lung cancer continues to smoke. Never did get that. It just seems you're working against God when you do that. Just saying. Does that make sense? Think about it. Some of you guys have been diagnosed with some soul diseases, if you will. Habits and behaviors that keep taking you down the wrong road. Well, why do you keep feeding on all that negative negative stuff that keep you going down those roads and practicing those bad habits. Don't you think you need to cut those things off and instead develop a whole new set of habits that will take you in a, in a healthier direction? Does that make sense? God wants you well, so let's stop working against those processes he has in place. Let's buy into his truth and let's see what he does to heal us. He heals us through natural processes. And I want to say this, as, as, I, as I linger here just a minute, it's actually more than I wanted to, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with seeing a doctor or a counselor. Absolutely nothing wrong. Good, well-trained doctors and counselors are simply instruments in the hands of God to enhance or accelerate the healing processes that have already been built into you by God. Listen to what they say. Follow their instructions. And let God use them to keep you pointed in the right direction so you can keep moving into a place of health and well-being. Does that make sense? A second way that Jesus brings healing to us is through the sufficiency of his grace. Through the sufficiency of his grace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul describes what he calls a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan sent to torment him. Now, most Bible, and, and, and Paul was, I think, deliberately vague here about what exactly that meant. But most Bible scholars believe that this was some kind of physical ailment 
that Paul may have had glaucoma or some kind of issue, uh, some kind of eye disease that caused him pain, or maybe he was suffering from migraine headaches. But Paul says three times in this passage of Scripture, he doesn't say it, he begs for it, God, take it away. He says that he prayed three times to the Lord to take it away. But each time the Lord said instead, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in your weakness. So what I want us to get from this is that sometimes Jesus heals us through the sufficiency of his grace. Sometimes Jesus heals us by giving us strength and joy and peace in the midst of this affliction so that we can endure and overcome in spite of it. God uses our steadfast, we just sang the song a minute ago. God uses our steadfast faith in the face of pain and suffering as a testimony to his sufficiency and his power that's at work in us. You say, Mark, what are you talking about? I'm, let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. Christian history is filled with stories of this kind of testing where grace was all they had. The Apostle Paul Three times, my grace is enough. Timothy, who we never see as being healed from his stomach problems or his frequent illnesses, he persevered in spite of them and became a great testimony and a pastor to the church in Ephesus. We have the blind songwriter, Fanny J. Crosby. Y'all don't even know who Fanny J. Crosby is, do you? Somebody named John. Name us a couple of songs that Fanny J. Crosby wrote for us. Oh, John, disappointed. Memory's failing. We can pray for that too tonight. <laughs> this is what she wrote. She was a blind songwriter. Most of our hymn books, if we had them, are filled with Fanny J. Crosby songs. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heard that one? What about Jesus keep me near the cross? Those are just a couple. Mrs. Crosby, who was blind her entire life, wrote a little poem that I think expresses her heart and her feelings about her blindness. She said, Oh, what a happy soul am I. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't to weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. It was her blindness, she said, that helped her stay focused on God instead of all the distractions in the world. She saw her blindness as a gift, not as a curse. We have a lot of living examples today among us. People who display for us what it means to live in the sufficiency of His grace. Johnny Erickson Tata, anybody ever heard of her? A quadriplegic artist and author, speaker. Evangelist David Ring, anybody ever hear of him? You know who I'm talking about? Cerebral palsy, one of the greatest evangelists of our day. He's led thousands to the Lord in crusades all over the world. 
through the sufficiency of God's grace, these people have overcome their afflictions and their diseases. Their condition has become a platform for them to testify to the victory that we all have in Christ Jesus in spite of our hardships and in spite of our deficiencies. They walk in God's grace and they accomplish more for God through their weakness than most of us do through our strengths. Let me just add a little aside here. The greatest healing evangelist in our tribe's history, the Assemblies of God, was a man named Smith Wigglesworth. Anybody ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Of course you have. A healing evangelist, traveled the world, preaching the gospel, praying for people. He was a plumber who had given his heart to the Lord. And he believed so deeply in the power of healing that he and his wife refused to take medicines once he came into an understanding of this truth. And I'm telling you, that's an extreme. Let me tell you why. And I don't want to disparage his ministry, because what I'm telling you is, what I want you to know is he was living in the sufficiency of Christ's grace to bring healing to hundreds of others. As a matter of fact, they have 14 supposedly, I don't know, I haven't seen them myself, that's why I say supposedly, 14 documented instances where he raised dead people back to life. But while he was praying for these dead people, and while he was praying for these sick people, he was suffering himself from kidney stones. For six years, he preached and prayed with kidney stones. I've never had a kidney stone. I visited a friend in the hospital one time that had a kidney stone, and he was crying like a baby. And I thought to myself, I don't want to ever get kidney stones. But for six years, this great man of God, this healing evangelist that raised 14 people from the dead and was the means of, of, of healing for hundreds of other people was himself suffering from kidney stones. How did he handle that? How did he get through that? How did he overcome that in order to keep pursuing the will of God for his life? He trusted in the grace of God to get him up on that platform, to pray for those hurting people, to be used as an instrument of God. His wife died an untimely death at the age of 53, completely unexpected. His son died at the age of 19, completely unexpected. His daughter was born deaf and never healed of her deafness. He simply trusted in the sufficiency of God's grace I believe he took an extreme position on medication and doctors, but that's what he chose to do. God bless him for it. I'm just here to tell you, sometimes when you're not healed as you would like to be healed, you simply trust God to carry you through each day. Trusting him for the strength and the courage and the willingness and the hope and the peace and the joy you need to make it through that day. Let, let me tell you, that's where you learn that he surely is enough. Trusting God. So he heals us through natural processes. Man, line yourself up with what the word of God has to say about a healthy lifestyle and good eating. Line yourself up with that and let God, actually, you'll avoid a lot of sicknesses that way. Can I get an amen? If you find yourself in a difficult place where you're not being healed immediately, Trust the grace of God to get you through. Some of you are still struggling with addiction. 
I believe that's a disease of your soul. Trust God to get you through. Because I believe with all my heart there's a day of deliverance coming to you. Which brings me to the third point. Brings me to the third point. Jesus can heal us through death. What are you talking about, man? I am saying the ultimate healing for us takes place when we leave this life and enter the next. My mom. I just preached the funeral for my mom about a month and a half ago. I watched her body and mind decline for the last three years. Do you believe I was praying every day for the Lord to heal her? You better believe I did. Do you believe my dad, who's a man of great faith, was praying every day for the Lord to heal her? You better believe he did. Do you believe we had people all around the world, from India all the way through the United States, praying for her healing? You better believe we did. Did we believe Christ could raise her up? Could he clear her mind? Could he restore? Yes, we did. We prayed, and we believed, and we trusted. But we also know that the grave is not our final destination. I want to say that again because some of us are so afraid of death in the grave. We have nothing to fear. Death is overcome because Christ is alive. Death is not our final destination. As a matter of fact, it's only a doorway that leads us into a life that has no pain and no suffering and no sickness and for no death. We need to look at death not as our final enemy, although it, the Bible describes it that way. We have already overcome that enemy. We've been given eternal life in Christ Jesus. Nothing to fear anymore. And I know, as I told people in the message that I shared there that day, I know that heaven isn't here. I will never experience supreme happiness here. It still lies ahead of me. It's out there. Heaven's there, not here. The best I can hope for here is a relative happiness, a relatively good health. But one day I'll be given a body that sickness can't touch and death can't take. And that's something we've got to get in our heads. Jesus can heal us through death. The ultimate healing miracle takes place when you and I, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, pass from this life to the next. At that very moment, our mortal bodies take on immortality. We leave sickness and disease behind. All, the, all that's wrong with your soul, all that hurts you today, all that's sick about your soul, you won't be touched with that anymore. The moment you see Jesus face to face, all that pain is gone. All that hurt, never to be felt anymore. Depression, gone. Mental anguish, gone. First Corinthians 15, 51 through 53 says this. For when the trumpet sounds, the Christians who have died will be raised with transformed bodies. 
but then we who are living will be transformed so that we will never die. And this is the sentence I want you to focus on. For our perishable earthly bodies must be transformed into heavenly bodies that will never die. When we die, we're immediately transported into the presence of the Lord where we are with Him forever. But there's coming a resurrection day when our bodies will be reunited with our souls. And that worn out body you got right now, and I don't know about you, at 59 I'm feeling more worn out than ever. In the, in the interest of full disclosure, as I pray with you for healing in just a few minutes, I've got a pinched nerve in my neck. I'm feeling both numbness go in both hands. Okay? My son, one of them, has a genetic disorder called fibrodysplasia osphacons progressiva, which he's so which is so unaffected his life by this point. It's a miracle. Every day that he's up is a miracle. We live with a miracle every day. My son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes just a little over a year ago, out of nowhere. And he's doing remarkably well. His life is basically unaffected by it, other than having to check his blood sugar and give himself an injection a couple times a day. And who knows, God may heal him yet of it. I don't know. I'm just telling you, in terms of full disclosure, as I pray with you today, I recognize the limitations of this earthly body that I have and that you have. I recognize the damage done to your soul. I recognize that you're hurting, because I'm hurting too. But I also recognize this, that one day, all this temporary, momentary affliction is achieving for us a glory that far outweighs it all. So I'm not taking my eyes off of Jesus, because I know what he can do. And if he doesn't do it in this life, I know in the life to come, all his promises fulfilled. I'm good. I'm good. This isn't heaven. And this body ain't glorified. Trust me. It feels pain. And this soul is a little bit sick still. Because Jesus hasn't finished his work in my life. But when I get to the other side, when I pass through that doorway called death, it's not my final destination, it's a doorway. When I see him face to face, everything changes. Everything. I don't know about you, I'm looking more and more to that day. And I think, I'm going to say one more thing because I want to go on. I think sometimes the Lord permits us to feel some of these pains and some of this anguish because he is reminding us that this isn't heaven and you're not home yet. Uh, Truthfully, I think sometimes he has to remind us, hey guys, you ain't home yet. You're not home there. Heaven's still there. I'm still there waiting on you. Because you know what? If he made everything perfect for us here, why would we want to go home? I don't want to stay here. I want to meet him in the sky through the rapture. I don't mind being laid in a coffin as long as I get to see Jesus for to live as Christ and to die as gain. Let me get off of that. I, I just think we have a complete misunderstanding sometimes about death and its nature. It's overcome already. We have nothing to fear. Nothing. Now here's where it gets good. 
He can heal us through natural processes. He can heal us through the sufficiency of his grace. He can heal us through death. But here's what we really want. We want instant and miraculous healing, don't we? And he can do that too. And he has. I've been, how many, raise your hand if you've been healed by the Lord instantly and miraculously. Praise God. Give him glory. Hallelujah. Because this is really what we want when we pray. I'll be honest with you. I'm the same way. I'm not asking him to, help, to, to let me suffer with his pinched nerve the rest of my life. I want this thing healed. And so I am pursuing healing. I have gone to a chiropractor. He hasn't helped me that much. He's given me some exercises to do at home, so I'm doing those exercises. He tells me to keep away from stress. To do that, i got to do something about y'all. Just saying. <laughs> I am trusting him to get me through every day because this numbness in my hands drives me crazy. But i got things to do, so I'm trusting him to give me the strength and the willingness to do what i got to do. I know death, the moment I die, it's all gone, cool. But I want to be healed now. I don't, <laughs> don't want to wait for that. I want it now. And this is the way we most often want Christ to heal us. When we're sick and hurting, we want Christ to speak immediate relief and health into our lives. We want to be healed like blind Bartimaeus was healed. We want Jesus to heal us like he healed the leper in Matthew 8, like he healed the woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5, or like he healed the man with the withered hand in Luke 6. When we pray for healing, we're asking for a miracle. We want a miracle. We expect a miracle. When we pray, we believe God for a miracle. Is that wrong? No! It's absolutely correct and perfect and proper that we ask God for a miracle when we're hurting, when we're under pressure, when we're feeling afflicted. We ought to ask the Lord for healing. That's exactly what James 5 tells us. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Can I get an amen? amen. The Lord will raise him up. Instructions from the Lord that says we ought to come and we ought to pray and expect him to work a miracle in our life. We have the freedom, y'all. Listen, to pray no matter what's going on. We have the freedom to pray and ask God for instant and miraculous healing because it's provided for us in Christ's death on the cross. Healing has been provided to us through Christ's death on the cross. We've got to get this into our minds here. The, the salvation that Jesus purchased for us on the cross is not just a spiritual salvation. It affects every area of our life. Through Christ Jesus, God wants to make us well spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 refers to it. Let's talk about the atonement for just a moment. Isaiah 53 says about Jesus, Surely He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered Him stricken by God, smitten by Him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Now what I want you to see is that prophecy given about Christ and why he came is linked to the healing ministry that he provided when he walked here among us. Matthew chapter 8, 
deliberately links the healing ministry of Jesus to this Isaiah 53 passage of Scripture. It says this, When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. Give him glory. She got up and began to wait on him. Now imagine, the first thing you do when you're healed by the Lord is not to say, hey, y'all, look at me. I've been healed. She got up and began to serve. Mm. Just saying. Think about that for just a minute. That was the way she expressed her thanks to the Lord. Anyway, let me get back to this. He touched her hand and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. Praise God. Give him glory. You see in this passage of Scripture, his healing ministry is linked to Isaiah 53, because it goes on to say, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Our healing has been provided for in the atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross. He paid the price not only for our salvation, but for the healing of our minds, bodies, and souls. The cross fully reconciles us to God. There's no longer a barrier that stands between you and the Lord if you've been born again by the Spirit of God. You can boldly, confidently approach the throne of grace and ask Him to meet the need in your life. How many of you are feeling sick in your body? Your soul needs a touch from the Lord. Your mind is weighed down and anxious and fearful, and you're still wounded from the past situations and circumstances. Come on, how many of you today? Christ paid the price for your healing. He gives you access to God through His sacrificial death for you on the cross. Not just for your salvation, but for your healing as well. The cross fully reconciles us to God. The cross fully restores our relationship with God. The cross means that we now have direct access and pray to the God who says about himself in Exodus chapter 15, I am the Lord who heals you. The cross means that every promise God has made now applies to you and me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. I am the God who heals you. Is that a promise? Absolutely. Has that promise been, uh, been fulfilled in Christ Jesus? Absolutely. The cross means that all the resources of heaven, including healing for our bodies, our minds, and our souls, now belong to us as His children. That's part of our inheritance. Philippians 4.15 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I'll say it like this. I believe that we dishonor God when we don't go to Him first for healing. A lot of us are running to doctors and counselors first instead of simply turning to the Lord. Come on. I should have gotten more amens than that, but I'll let it go. I'm just saying. It's God's will for us to be made whole. 
So should we pray and believe God for miracles of healing? I would say absolutely, because Jesus is our healer. And then we see evidence of it. We see evidence of people taking this truth and doing something with it. They put their whole heart into believing it, and they lived it out. We see them praying and believing God for miracles. We, in, the, in, the, in the New Testament, we read about the apostles. They certainly believed that Jesus is their healer, and they believed God for healing. Jesus used Peter and John to heal the lame man in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 5, it tells us that many others were healed through the ministry of the apostles. So many that in Acts 5.15 it says, As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them in beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Woo! Wow. Acts chapter 19 tells us Jesus used Paul in Ephesus to heal the sick and deliver the demon-possessed. And in Acts chapter 20, it's, we're told that Jesus used Paul to raise a dead boy named Eutychus back to life. Nothing's impossible for those who believe God. And there are other people in the New Testament that weren't apostles who believe that Jesus is, the, is our healer. And they put it into practice in their life. Acts chapter 6 tells us about Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. In Acts chapter 8, we're told about Philip. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and he preached the gospel. And while he was there, verse 7 says, with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed under his ministry. In Acts chapter 9, Jesus uses Ananias to heal uh, Paul of blindness. But here's what I want you to understand. That didn't stop in the New Testament. Because of what Jesus tells us in John chapter 14. The apostles and other New Testament believers are not the only people who could and should pray and believe God for miracles and, and, and healing. It's our privilege too. Listen to what Jesus tells us in John 14. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. What had Jesus been doing? Healing people. Working miracles. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Wow. I'm going to ask the elders of the church, if you will, to come up and let's prepare. I, I, I just believe that God wants us to close out the service by praying for those of us who are in need. You see, I believe it's our privilege to pray for healing as the sons and daughters of God. I believe not only is it our privilege, we've been commanded to pray for people who are sick, who are in need. And I know that there are many among us who are sick in our bodies. We're hurting. We're still in anguish over circumstances and things that happened to us in the past. We're still feeling the sting of that rejection and that abuse. And our souls have been deeply wounded by the things that we have done or been part of. And I know there are people in here who are struggling with depression. 
Maybe you've got some kind of diagnosis. And let me just, I'm going to tell you this and throw this out to you so you know what's coming. We're about to take the leadership of our church through some training on mental health issues so that we can become better at counseling with people who have those issues and who are struggling in those areas of life. I think for too long the church has ignored those issues, and I don't want to be accused of ignoring an issue that we as human beings struggle with. So we're going to be going through some classes, and John's going to lead us in those classes. And you may be somebody today struggling with a mental health issue. You've got your diagnosis, and they've put a label on you. And I'm telling you, who knows but what Jesus will heal you in this very moment and set you free. For all of us here, we're going to pray for you. We're going to believe with you that God will heal you instantly and miraculously. But let's keep in mind that if that doesn't happen in this moment, he can heal us in other ways. But he's going to heal you. How many of you would rather it be sooner than later? <laughs> Absolutely. That's our humanity. Nothing wrong with that. But how many of you are willing to trust him while you wait for the healing that's sure to come? <laughs> Man, I, I wish I could convey to you how much God loves you how much he really wants to touch you and bring you through this. He's got work in your life. He's, he's, he intends to finish the work he started in you. He intends to use you as a trophy of grace here. He intends to use your life as a light of his power. Jesus, I pray today as we come to you and we ask you to meet the needs of our life, as we ask you to touch our bodies, our minds, our souls, we ask you, Jesus, to be glorified in this place, to do what you deem best. We'll trust you. But I know what we want. We want healing, and we want it now, Lord. We ask you for healing. We believe you for healing. Oh, Jesus, give us faith to trust you more. Give us faith to trust you more. Overcome our unbelief. Oh, Jesus, glorify your name here. Glorify your name here, Jesus. You're our healer.